Well, they say, don't they, that uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And uh, maybe that doesn't always happen. But the problem is, I think, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes we get glazed eye syndrome. We have a, a funny habit in church circles in particular of looking at the past and remembering them as the glory days and things were so much better. And we come out with things at times. We, we say things. We have favorite sayings and truisms that, that, you know, we just trot them out. And it just, I don't know. Do you get fed up of it sometimes? Am I the only one? I hope not. But um, sometimes you can read things and in the scriptures and it, it, you just don't see what it's saying. For instance, the parables. The parables are kind of there, and they sit in the Gospels, and it's easy to just think that you know everything about them, and that there's nothing new that we can perhaps glean from them. We've heard them a hundred times, uh, and all of that, but I want to re, uh, revisit the parables with you, and I've been doing some work over the last few weeks on the parables, just trying to reimagine how I understand the truth that's contained in them, because they're, they're incredibly powerful stories that Jesus told. And um, I guess uh, you all know what a parable is, do you? You know it's from the Greek word? Yeah? Parable. You know this? Yes? I hope you do. So it literally means parallel, you know, parallel alongside, and uh, ballo to throw. So in, in many ways, what, what you have in a parable is something that, of a story that has kind of going along the same track, parallel to it, thrown against it, if you like, is, is a truth that, that Jesus wants us to understand. So I've written on there, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You've heard that phrase, haven't you, about a parable. That's, that's what it is. And, and that's true, but I think there's so much more your parable as well. It, it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but I don't think that fully captures really what we find in the parables. And I just want to explore that a bit with you tonight, see where it goes. Maybe we'll start a little bit of a series in future weeks on this as well. I was thinking the, the other week, why did Jesus use parables? Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, my, um, Philip's going to come in a little while and read for us. But if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, um, th this is the first recorded parable, parable in Matthew's Gospel. And it's fascinating what, I mean, it seems to catch the disciples out. Because parables are weird things, and uh, they're brilliant teaching tools. But after Jesus told the parable, the, the disciples actually turned around to him there in Matthew 13 and said, why do you speak to them in parables? So, so they weren't ready for it. It wasn't something that they were necessarily familiar with. And in the next few verses, Jesus goes on to say and explain why. And he says, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing... They do not see, and hearing they do not hear, uh, nor do they understand. 
So basically in that little section, I know it, it can seem a little bit difficult to maybe unpack it, but just let me try and do that. Jesus used parables, I think, for five main reasons. And it's fascinating. The first one is this, to reveal divine truth to the godly. That's very clear there. He says, to you, he's speaking to the disciples, he's saying, to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. You know, God wants us to understand some stuff as his people. If we are the Lord's people, he wants to reveal stuff to us. It's, this isn't an eternal mystery. We behave at times as if God's playing a game with us, a cruel game, where he's going, yeah, try and figure that one out then. Well, he's not. He wants to reveal his truth to us. And that's very important that we understand that. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus used parables. Because the second thing is, he wanted to conceal divine truth from the ungodly. He wants to reveal it to the godly, but he wants to conceal it from the ungodly. Look, but to them, it's not been given. In verses 14 and 15, if you've got your Bible open, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, chapter 6, in order to describe the spiritual condition of the ungodly, who've become so hardened that they're no longer able to see and hear spiritual truth. And so he's like, well, you know, I'll conceal it from them then. I mean, there will come a time, if you read through the book of Romans and books like that, it's quite clear that God will, it'll get to a point where God will just say, okay, then fine. You, you do with this truth what you want. You know, I've given you every opportunity to believe, but if you, God's not going to force us. That's why I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that everybody's going to go to heaven. I think you've got a choice to make. God's not going to force his will on you. So you've got, your, you've got to make your mind up. Bucks fizz, making your mind up. Eurovision last night, I'm on trend, I tell you. But, so, you know, he wants to reveal his truth, but he'll conceal it from the ungodly. The third thing, linking in with that, is that what you see is that he wants to separate truth seekers from curiosity seekers. Now, that's a fascinating thing as you go through the parables. Um, later in the same chapter, we see two responses of those who heard the parable that Jesus told that day. Um, it, it says, he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. That the disciples were seeking after truth. They, they went in the house. Jesus goes into the crowd, into the house. The, the crowd seemed to dissipate. The crowd disappears. They go home. But the, but the godly people, the disciples, the ones who are really interested, come and they ask him, explain that to us, please. And they, they weren't just curious. And that's the thing, isn't it? Some people are just curious. God wants us to go after truth. He wants us to know things. He wants to reveal his will to us. So the disciples are seeking truth. They pursue the meaning of the parables with Jesus. They go into the house. But the crowd, hmm, not interested. We've heard a nice story. Ta-da! The fourth reason Jesus tells parables is to fulfill messianic prophecy. If you, if you look back at the, 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 the prophecies given about the Messiah, uh, you'll see, for instance, in Matthew uh, chapter 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, These things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill 
what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And the final reason Jesus uses parables is to provoke a response. That's one of the key things, isn't it? Jesus didn't just tell stories that happened to have a bit of a spiritual truth to them. They certainly did. But they often had a bit of an unusual twist, didn't they? And if you look at when he tells these parables, it often catches the listener. It catches their attention and, and jolts them into a bit of a response. Sometimes it's that the listeners will understand things differently, see things from a different perspective. Sometimes it's that they'll behave differently. They'll take action. And so in many cases, Jesus used parables to get people to, to understand the truth and then reveal that it applies to them so that they can take action. So this is what it says. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, with that background in mind, let's look at this parable before us this evening. Phil's going to come, and he's going to read for us from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Thanks. Welcome home. Okay, Matthew chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in the parable, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced some, some and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who, he who has ears, let him hear. Thank you, Philip. So how many of you are familiar with that parable? Is that of interest? Yeah? Okay, so you've heard that dozens and dozens of times. And when you've heard it, well, let me just ask you the question then. When you've heard it preached about or when you've read it, where's, where's the focus? Where's the focus? What's the thing you're looking at or things you're looking at in that parable? Seed? Seed? Fruit, result, soil. So, yeah, and, uh, you'd all agree. I mean, these are the things we pick out, aren't they? And I've heard, and I've certainly used, I've preached it, um, particularly about the soils, the four soils, and talking about heart conditions and stuff like that uh, for people who are uh, into whom we are sowing the seed of God's word. Now, that's, 
certainly the commentaries are full of all of that as well. It's, sometimes in the commentaries it's known as the parable of the soils. Even though in verse 18 Jesus makes it very clear that it's the parable of the sower. But I've certainly used that parable in different ways, looking at heart soils and saying, you know, some hearts are like rocky ground and some are like a path and whatever, you know. Uh, in evangelism training, uh, the, the, the soils are likened to the condition of people's hearts so that you can learn how maybe you can win a person to Christ who uh, is a bit more hard-hearted than somebody who's a bit... They're all legitimate. They're all legitimate things to focus on. But the one thing I've never looked at before, in all honesty, is the sower. Now, some of you probably have, but I haven't. And, and I, I was thinking about this, and I was rereading it. Pastor Tim started this off because he, he preached on the parable of the, the sower uh, a few weeks ago, and it stuck, stuck with me. And I, as I said, I was reading around about the parables and everything, and I just wanted to to look at it again and look at the sower in all of this. Because I wonder if sometimes we, we kind of go to the soils or to the word or to fruit or whatever, because that's kind of the easy option. I mean, just being the soil and letting the seed fall on us doesn't require much of us. It certainly doesn't compel us to get involved in the lives of other people. But if we're going to focus on the sower... Now, that's going to demand something. That's going to demand that we have to look outside our own little world and get involved in the lives of others. And I think, actually, that's why Jesus calls this the parable of the sower. I think he really does want us to focus on the sower. It's not the parable of the soils or of the seed or, or, or anything else. It is the parable of the sower. And that's what I want to do with you this evening. I want to explore this parable from the perspective of the sower. It's interesting to me that Jesus never identifies who the sower is in the parable. Some have, mistakenly in my opinion, uh, and obviously I'm right, uh, tried to connect it to another parable. Uh, but uh, you can, uh, it's in the same chapter if you want to look at it. Uh, the sower is identified as the, the son of man. But that parable is completely different and it has completely different application and I can't be dogmatic about it, but it seems to me the real reason the sower isn't identified here by Jesus is because Jesus wanted all of his disciples, actually, and ultimately all of us, to be able to identify ourselves with the sower. Now, come with me through this parable. Certainly it's true that Jesus was the first to sow the word of the kingdom. But he, he passed that responsibility on, didn't he? Do you remember, just before he returned to his heavenly father, he made it very clear to the disciples what they were to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. So he's passed on the responsibility that he had to his disciples. Then the early church took that on board. You see the apostle Paul, you know, he's going on his mission journeys. He's sowing the seed. And then that responsibility has come down to us. Paul isn't around anymore. So we get to do it now. You and I get to sow the seed here in Risca. So I think that there is a, a, a truth here that we can't get away from. And, uh, oh gosh, where's all of this? Oh, I am all over the place here. Don't worry about it. Jesus calls us to sow seed. 
I think that's a key thing. He calls you and me to sow seed. That's so important that we understand this. Now, the seed is interesting because the seed, Jesus says, somewhere in here, I've got it. Stick with me. There we go. Jesus calls the seed the word of the kingdom. It's it's interesting in Matthew that that's the case. I put it on there because in Luke, he goes even further and it's the word of God. So you've got this word of the kingdom and the word of God. And it makes sense because the word of God contains the message about the kingdom. And that reveals, you know, how to become a part of the kingdom. You and I are not citizens just of Wales. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are a citizen of a different kingdom. It doesn't say it on your passport. I've been checking mine this week and it's not on that one. And it doesn't matter whether we come out of uh, Europe and go through Brexit and everything. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you have a citizenship that is not of this world. Look at that. You have a citizenship in heaven and of a different kingdom with a different king. Wow. And you get to experience that and live that now. And that's so important. That the message we have been given is a message that we are to sow. And it's the message of the kingdom of God. And that's what we get to sow. Now back to this idea. This is the message, okay. But we are called to be perpetual seed sowers. That's what we are to do. You and me sow seed. We'll look at just three actions that we must take if we want to be perpetual seed sowers. And I will look at those with you in the next three minutes. You know, Tim said about the 20 minutes that he didn't give you this morning. I'm giving them to you tonight. I think the first thing we need to do is this. We need to sow persistently. The problem in church life over the years is that we sow spasmodically. We just go... We, we get a, a, an idea for something and, and we'll go with that for a time. But we need to understand you and I are called to sow the seed of the kingdom all the time, perpetually. And, and I, I was looking at the parable and just trying to, to see this. It, it was coming out, it was just lovely as I engaged with it. Because the picture here is of somebody going out to sow the seed regardless of circumstances, and just getting on with it. Just sowing the seed all of the time. I, I, I love that. I, I have to be honest with you, I think this is an area I really struggle in. I frequently fail to sow God's seed when I have the opportunity. Why? Because, being honest, I'm so concerned whether the conditions are right. I'm so fixated, if I take this parable uh, 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 with me to illustrate this point, I'm so concerned about what the soil condition is that I'm looking at things, I'm looking at people, and I'm in a situation and I'm thinking, "Hmm, it's a bit rocky road here, don't think I can say a word here for the Lord. And I go over here and I, I think, oh, there's a lot of weeds in this person's life and it'll just get choked, there's no point in me doing it there. I need the conditions to be ripe, to be right. 
But the interesting thing, as Jesus tells this parable about the sower, none of that comes into play. Have you noticed? He is sowing, or she is, sowing seed. That's what they're doing. They're not looking at the soil. We can't always tell how trampled down the soil is or where the rocks are or where the weeds will pop up. That's the problem with weeds, isn't it? You can never know where they're going to pop up next. The sower here is just interested in sowing in all kinds of soil. Jesus doesn't say that he looks at the path and says, well, I'm not going to waste my time there. He doesn't write off the rocky soil. He doesn't refuse to sow the seed because some weeds might come up choking what grows. No, no, he sows. That's what he does. He just sows. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm certainly not saying that we aren't to use discernment or rely on the leading of the Lord's Spirit when it comes to sharing our faith with others. But based on my own personal experience and what I've observed in the lives of others, the problem all too often is we don't sow because we're so busy trying to find the right conditions. So at least one of the lessons we can learn from this parable is that it's much better to just sow seeds, even in imperfect circumstances. D.L. Moody once had a lady approach him because she didn't like what he did. I don't like what you do, Mr. Moody. And he said, I don't like what you don't do. (laughs) And, you know, there is a sense, isn't there, in which we just need to get on and sow the seed. God will take care of the growth. We just faithfully sow the seed. That's what we should be doing. We need to worry far less about whether the conditions are right. If you had told me 30 years ago when I started in ministry that something like messy church would be a great way to actually get people to engage with the gospel and with faith and spirituality and with the reality of who Christ is, I'd have laughed at you. All that noise and glitter, flipping glitter, got it all over me. But it works. It works. And we're just getting on and doing it. We're just faithfully trying to sow seeds. Seven years ago, when I first arrived here, there was an evangelism training day at Mount Pleasant Blackwood. So I went, and the guy taking the day encouraged us all to do silly little things, I thought. One thing he encouraged me to do was write Bible verses of blessing on pebbles and then go out into Blackwood High Street and give them to people. <laughs> well, I thought he was a numpty and I, I thought I was too. Do you know, I had more spiritual conversations in two hours doing that than I've ever had doing anything else. It's amazing. Everything inside of me says, this isn't going to work. The conditions aren't right. Standing on a street in front of a table with rocks on it that I've written Bible. Come on. Worked. We can't keep worrying about the conditions. We are called upon to sow. That's a lesson from this parable. It's better to sow seed in imperfect circumstances than never sow seed at all. That leads us to the second thing we can learn about being a perpetual seed sower. 
we need to sow plentifully. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Do you remember when uh, you were in school? I don't know whether you did this when you were in school. I did. Um, we planted cress. Did you do that? Cotton wool soaked in water. Wow, the mess. Seeds everywhere. And it was just, it was, it was, it was like a messy church at Mariah on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. But, but that was it. We, we didn't carefully get a seed and put it, you know, those of you who are gardeners, I'm no gardener, as I'll explain in a minute. We, sometimes, you know, you have to take one seed and put it here, and one seed and put it My father planting broad beans with a ruler. What's that all about? Get the packet and bung the lot in. That's the way to do it, man. And, and that's what I see here. I see this sower getting on with it. There's no ruler here. There's no, I know sometimes, you know, uh, farmers setting their things for planting wheat and everything have a certain spread and they have to uh, close the aperture so not in, too much seed will come out and everything. This is called broadcast sowing. He didn't have a tractor, he didn't have a Massey Ferguson with him or a John Deere. No, no, he had a bag. And he literally just went like this. Handfuls of the stuff. And yeah, some of it went on rocky places and some of it went in amongst the weeds. He didn't care. He just sowed. And he sowed plentifully. Wow. What do I see here? I don't know if you can draw a direct parallel, but it seems that the proportion of good soil to unproductive soil in the parable, I think, reveals that we should expect that most of the seed we sow will actually never produce fruit. You look at it in the parable. 25% of the seed, it seems, produce some of a crop. Now, it's interesting. If we are going to see a harvest, we have to sow a lot of seed. So let's get on with it. Jesus calls us to be perpetual seed sowers. We need to sow persistently. We need to keep on doing it. And we need to sow plentifully. Loads. 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 And the final thing is this. If we want to be perpetual seed sowers, we've got to sow patiently. Patience. I hate gardening because of that. Blinking patience. Plant a seed and look after it and germinate it. and Oh, God bless you if you're into all of this. I, I want it like that. It's easier for me to go to Tesco's and buy a cucumber than blinking grow the thing. You know? Ten to twelve years before a tree produces good fruit. Get it in a tin. Del Monte. It's fine. You know, I'm jesting, but we have to be patient. In the parable, the sower seems to keep on sowing his seed, even though he understood it might take a long time before he ever saw a harvest of any kind. He did it knowing the odds of producing fruit were small, but also understanding that there would be a few successes. So he got on with it. He got on with it. And ultimately, when we sow the seed, we've got to trust God and leave the results to him. That's Pastor Tim's big point the other Sunday, wasn't it? Really struck me. 
You just leave all of that to God. Paul understood that, of course, didn't he? In his letter to the church at Corinth, he says, look, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Ultimately, whether the seed becomes fruitful is completely up to God. Fine. In the meantime, I'm going to sow. I'm going to keep on sowing. And I'm going to sow plentifully. Our responsibility is just to keep faithfully sowing the seed, give God time to do his work. And what this parable shows us is that eventually God's word will reveal the true condition of every heart. So, Jesus calls us to be perpetual seed sowers. I mean, if you are already a Christian here tonight, if you're already part of God's kingdom, it's probably because one or more of Jesus' followers took the time to sow the word of the kingdom in your life. And they probably did that more than once. Very few people come to faith in Jesus just by hearing a message once and bang. Very few. Most people, it's a journey, an ongoing process. They hear the the message again and again and again, and slowly but surely their heart is warmed, and then eventually they receive Christ as Lord. Jesus has entrusted the seed to us and called us to sow that seed persistently and plentifully and patiently. That's our calling. He hasn't called us to be experts in analyzing the soil or get special training on how to sow the seed. He just asks us to get on and sow. So as I was thinking about how we need to respond to the message of this parable, I want to remind those of you who perhaps haven't yet engaged with the Talking Jesus series of studies we're doing on Wednesday evenings to come and be part of that. Because that is helping us Grow in confidence about sharing our faith so that we can go into our workplaces, talk with our neighbors, even our own families, and engage them in spiritual conversations. In drawing things to a close this evening, I was reflecting on Ephesians chapter 6. You know, if there was anyone whose life was characterized by being a serial seed sower, It was Paul. And a lot of the seed he sowed certainly fell on the path and on rocky soil, and it was choked by weeds, but some of it ended up bearing amazing fruit. So as we close this evening, let's take a few moments to meditate on what Paul asked the church in Ephesus to pray for him. I'm going to put that prayer request on the screen in a moment. And I just want you to take a moment to look at it, to chew it over, and then see if God would just put something in your heart about how you might be able to share the truth of his gospel this week, to share your story with somebody. And then when we've had a pause and you've thought about that, I'm going to put a little prayer up, which we can pray together to finish our teaching this evening. So here's what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints, look at this, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Just mull that over for a minute, and then we'll pray together. So let's pray together the words on the screen. Heavenly Father, guide us and give us the right words as we share the word of the kingdom. Give us boldness and confidence as we proclaim the gospel. Help us to patiently trust in you as your word does its work in the lives of others. As you will Give us the joy of seeing others enter your kingdom as a result of the seed that we sow. In all this, we pray that you would receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen.